0: Good morning, my name is Jake, I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Tempe. Welcome, it's good to have you and happy Memorial weekend. We will be actually finishing up the series of Jonah this morning and we'll be looking at one particular verse and then the next week we'll actually be starting off a new series in Philippians. And if you've been paying attention so far with the book of Jonah, you might say, wait, Jonah, we did the last chapter last week. Correct. This week we're going to go back and we're going to do one verse, and it's actually not even the whole verse, it's just four words, or it's three, it's three words in the Hebrew. It's very short, so this is going to be a short sermon. Um, no, but these three words, I'll tell you in a second what they are, these three words are not only what hold together the entire book of Jonah, but they actually hold together the entire narrative of Scripture, And so with something as important as that, we figured Ricardo probably just can't handle it. And so he called me, and I was like, I got this, man, don't worry about it. And uh, if you didn't laugh at that joke, Ricardo told me to say that this morning, and so you should tell him afterwards, hey man, your stuff is not, not very funny. Um, all kidding aside though, like Ricardo is always super encouraging and supportive to me right before I walked on stage. He always sits by me and says something encouraging. And so this morning he was like, Hey man, don't mess this up. And then he just walked away. (laughs) That wasn't a joke. That was actually, so, um, we are going to uh, start off by praying. So I want to, I want to do this for a second. Let's just bow our heads quietly. I'm going to give you guys like 20 seconds of silence And I just want you to pray one thing in your heart yourself, which is Jesus, we wanna encounter you in the scriptures. Most of us just need enough this Sunday to make it one more week. And so we're gonna ask him for that. And so let's just bow our heads silently and I'll finish up in prayer, but I'm gonna give you 15, 20 seconds just to pray by yourself quietly. Jesus, you are king of heaven and earth and everything is under your reign. A lot of us just need one more week. And so will you encounter us this moment through your word enough to sustain us, to give us enough to obediently follow you? Amen. So when I was 15 years old, my mom had this idea. She was like, hey, I, you're, you know, you're away from getting your license, your driver's license. So what I want you to do is I want you to read the entire Bible and I was like, she won't follow through. And so, you know, I, I was young and dominant. No, my mom, whenever she said something, she was, she was like, oh, it's gonna happen. And so I waited until three months before my driver's license test. And I was like, I just can't wait to drive. And mom's like, I can't wait for you to finish the Bible. And I hadn't started. <laughs> and So I was like, wait, are you serious? I only have three months left. She's like, man, you're not gonna be driving for a while. And so I came home every day for a while after school and I sat down for like two, three hours and just started reading the Bible. And I wouldn't even say the that point I was really a Christian. She just was like, you're reading it. And so for all the high schoolers in here now who their mom's nudging them and are like, I got an idea when you get home and tell you. I'm sorry, um, I had to suffer so you too can enter into my suffering. And so uh, I started reading the Bible and it went like this. It was like Genesis this is like a fairy tale, this is so cool. I'm gonna fly through this. Exodus, plagues, oh my gosh! Halfway through Exodus, I was like, wait, what happened? This is like interior design plans. (laughs) And I got to Leviticus and I was like, oh, this is bad. (laughs) And then I got to Numbers and it was like 15 chapters of names and I was like, I'm gonna learn how to skim read. And so I plowed through as fast as I could, just try to get through it enough to where I'd go in the kitchen, mom be like, hey, how's the book of Numbers? And I'm like, it's really interesting. And I would tell her something about it enough to show her that I was reading it. And I would just keep going through. And then finally got to the interesting stories of King David. And I was like, this is amazing. Okay, we're back on track. We're doing good. And then I hit the prophets. And I was like, what is happening? Who is this God? Because some of the most intense violent, graphic language and imagery of the Bible comes from the prophets. And so I just plowed through it and I was like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if someone's talking, God's talking. This is, seems crazy, but I'm just gonna get through it. And then I made it to Jesus and I was like, oh. And I finished up and I got my driver's license and I didn't touch the prophets until much later in life, until after I'd been a Christian and back a couple of years ago. And I was sitting in class during seminary and my professor started talking through the minor prophets, which is where Jonah fits and he was talking about some of the graphic imagery and language, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw some of that language up here uh, and read it for you guys. Don't open your Bibles, just listen as I say it because I want the effect to come, but here is a taste of what the minor prophets sound like. All right, she conceived and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to, his, said to him, call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. And when she weaned no mercy and conceived and bore a son, the Lord said, call his name not my people for you are not my people and I am not your God. That's Hosea. Hosea 5. I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. This is Joel 2. The Lord utters his voice before his army for his camp is exceeding great. He who execute his word is powerful for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And this is Zephaniah three. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decision is to gather the nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation and all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. Good morning and welcome to redemption. <laughs> um, I sat in class hearing this and I, and I started asking my professor, because maybe if you're like me, you're like, oh, like, that was a gut punch. And I asked my professor, I was like, hey, why, is, why are the prophets so intense? And he stopped, I had this really intense professor too, which is perfect for the prophets. He stopped and he like did like a furrow brow and he looked at us all and he was like, because with Israel, the world is at stake. And it clicked. The whole story made sense. All the language made sense. I was like, oh, if Israel fails her calling, none of us are sitting here if God's mission for Israel to restore all nations and bring salvation and blessing to the world, if they fail, it is over. And so when we get to the prophets, God begins to speak out of his guts, out of his heart, follow me, return to me. And if you don't, I will bring about judgment because Israel, I need to save the world. And so what you get in the Minor Prophets is kind of like this whiplash pattern where it goes back and forth and it's really hard to understand and pick up, but it's like a pattern. What you'll get is that the very beginning of Hosea begins off with saying, you are not my people and you are not my God, or I am not your God. And the very next line, God says, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. It shall be said to them, children of the living God. The best way to recognize a pattern, which is what God is trying to do in his people, is repetition. And so over and over and over again, the prophets, especially Jonah, because Jonah sits right in the middle of the prophets and it is like this living parable of what all of the message of the prophets is saying, And to get a pattern, you need to just hear it again and again and again and in a very intense way so that God's people over time begin to figure out this pattern of what God will do. Recently, a couple weeks ago, I started doing uh, jujitsu for a workout and I used to wrestle back in the day but didn't do jujitsu so I'm not very good at all. And the gym that I go to has a lot of really good guys and they also are very kind in that they want me to learn quickly and so the best way to (laughs) <laughs> you guys you guys do jujitsu too? Um, the best way to learn is through repetition. So what they'll do is these guys who are much better than me, they'll jump in, they'll start rolling with me. And I have this one professor who is rolling me. He's like, oh yeah, you know, one of the things you can do is you can get somebody's wrist and make them go like, and you can get it everywhere in jujitsu. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So his intention is every time we wrestle and we roll in jujitsu, he's over and over again grabbing my wrist and going like... And so after like 20 minutes, I'm like, no! And I pull my arm back because I could see it coming. And so what the prophets try to do is they try to hit with such intense language over and over and over again so that God's people go, I know what God does. I see it coming so that when we get to Jesus, it's not a surprise, it's the fulfillment of all. And so in Jonah chapter two, verse nine, we're gonna read our one verse that we're walking through. It's not even the whole verse. The last words, salvation belongs to the Lord. In Hebrew, it's three words. It's salvation is God's, and that's it. In the belly of the fish, that's his great epiphany. And the very thing that he figures out and understands is that salvation is God's and nobody else's, and he can bring it about out of anything. And that is the main point of today. Salvation is God's and he can bring it out of anything. And the three patterns that we're gonna notice in Jonah is that one, he can bring salvation out of our rebellion. The second pattern is he can bring salvation out of our self-destruction. And the third one is that he actually can bring salvation out of judgment. So Jonah is, like we said, it's a living pattern for us to recognize something about God. And the first way we see that is that salvation, God can bring that even out of our rebellion. And, You can tell like one verse in that Jonah is not doing what he's supposed to do. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he just runs. And the entire book of Jonah is over and over again, Jonah running away from God, away from God, away from God and God's response again and again and again is even though Jonah is rebelling and running, God's still bringing mercy and salvation everywhere he goes, Read through Jonah again. You'll begin to notice. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Like he runs, and when he runs and the storm comes, who gets saved? The sailors. The ones that he was totally ignoring. Jonah's intention was not to bring salvation to the sailors, and yet God uses Jonah's rebellion for the sailors. Again, he tries to run away, and when he gets to Nineveh, he finally preaches his three-word message. He tries to just throw it away and make it so bad that God can't do anything. And the entire city gets saved and rescued over and over again, Jonah rebels and God answers with salvation over and over again, Jonah runs and God answers with salvation. And this is the entire story of the old Testament. This is the entire story of the biblical narrative. And this is the story of our world. In the middle of exile, when Israel finally got so low that it was all hopeless, God spoke to one of the prophets named Ezekiel. And I want you guys to read this along with me in Ezekiel chapter 36. And it's gonna be starting off in verses, that's 33. We're gonna do verses 22. So you just throw that off the board for now. Verses 22. Therefore, Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations, gather you from the countries and bring you into your own land. Now go ahead and put up verse 33 on the board. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited. The waste places shall be rebuilt. The land that was desolate shall be tilled. Instead of being desolate, there shall be the sight of all who pass by. And they will say the land that was desolate has become like a garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left around you shall know that. I am the Lord, I have rebuilt, ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord, I have spoken, I will do it. The entire story of the Bible, Jonah is a little parable of it, is God's people running, rebelling, going against him and God again and again answering with salvation is mine, I will get it. Israel, if you run from me, I'm still gonna bring about salvation. If you rebel against me, I'm still gonna bring about salvation. I'm gonna do it for my name, out of my power, out of my strength, because I am God and salvation is mine. And in the belly of the fish, Jonah begins to get that. And this is, and this is us. We all run again and again from God in a million different ways. And yet God is, and this is gonna be a silly illustration, but God's kind of like my dog. And, and my dog is a part Australian Shepherd, part German Shepherd. It'll make sense in a second, just hold on. And so she does this thing where I'll go out in the backyard and she'll stare at me and just stand up because she knows that like we might play, here we go. If I move slowly, she just kind of like follows me slowly. But if you're with my dog, because she's a herding dog and a hunting dog, If you start running, she'll bolt and come after you and run faster and faster. The harder you run away, the harder she will try to chase you. In the exact same way, the harder that Jonah runs away, the more God chases him. In the same way that God's people Israel runs away from him, God still gets salvation. He'll bring it out of our rebellion. Even in our worst moments where we are absolutely running from him, he still is gonna bring about salvation. The scary thing about running from God, especially for too long, is that our rebellion ends up turning into self-destruction. And that is the second pattern that we actually see in Jonah is that God brings salvation from our self-destruction. Think about this. In chapter one, Jonah tries to kill himself. And I don't think it's a moment of self-sacrifice because in chapter four, three times in a row, he begs God, kill me. I don't like how this is working out. I don't like the view of mercy and salvation you have. Just, just kill me. I tried to kill myself, but even I can't do that because you're so in control. So you know what? Just, I wanna die. Let me out of here. I wanna go. The ugly thing about sin is that it doesn't just hurt others. It doesn't just go against God's will for us. Our sin is self-destructive, always. We don't just hurt people in our attacks against others with their words, in our acts of racism, in our sexual sin. Not not only do we hurt other people, but we are making ourselves less human by going against God's design for creation. And a lot of us have been in those moments and seasons of life where it is so clear that we are in a pit of our own sin that has caused us to hurt and harm ourselves. Sin is self-destructive. That's the ugliest thing about it. And what's scary about it is that Jonah knows God and he still does it. We might say that we know and follow God and yet can find ourselves in the most destructive places in life. And that's because sin hurts ourselves. And you see that in the story of Israel too. In the ugliest moments of their history, Israel begins to sacrifice their own children. In the ugliest moments of of their rebellion against God, they begin to oppress the weak and the poor and ignore the widow. And this is all of us. Like our idolatry has become so bad in America that our worship of comfort and food, we destroy our bodies. Our idolatry of connectivity and technology, we've destroyed our ability to actually connect and be known by one another. Our idolatry of money, power, security, We might not have actually sacrificed our children like the Israelites do, but a lot of us have sacrificed our marriages, our children's childhood for the sake of pursuing that which our world says is worth pursuing. And yet, the best part of Jonah, and yet in the bottom of our self-destruction in the pit of our sin, what is God gonna do? That's the story of Jonah. What is God gonna do when it gets so bad that we get brought so low and our eyes open up and we realize we have made a mess of our own lives? What is God going to do? Because we know what we're gonna do. We're gonna make a mess. We again and again make a mess. And yet in that moment, in that darkest moment, God answers with, I'll bring salvation even out of self-destruction. In that same part of Ezekiel where God says, I will do it. I will bring it about. I will will bring life and healing even though you rebel against me. The very next thing that happens is there is a story. It's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible is the prophet Ezekiel standing there in this ravine desert. And in that moment, God tells Ezekiel, hey, look out, what do you see? And Ezekiel goes, I see a graveyard of dry bones. And it's, and it's supposed to be his people. So you can imagine if you are in that moment, Ezekiel, and you are standing there on the edge of a graveyard with some of your family members, cousins, and you know deep down like Ezekiel does, why are we here? Because we brought ourselves here. Why are we in exile? Because we brought ourselves here by our own sin. And yet God, standing right there tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And I can imagine in that moment, because you can hear it in his response, him saying, you know God. I don't know. And then God tells Ezekiel, say to the bones, get up. And then, what would have been like a scene out of Game of Thrones or something crazy. The bones snap together and you see flesh crawling up onto these skeletons. And suddenly Ezekiel is standing there, I'm sure terrified, seeing an entire multitude of people standing there. And I don't know if at that point they looked kind of like zombies because God then tells Ezekiel, can these bodies live? And Ezekiel again goes, Lord, you you know, I don't know. And God, I love his response. It's like in his heart, God is going like, not good enough, Ezekiel. Tell these bones for the breath to come into them. And like a great wind rushes and suddenly there is an entire army of God's people standing there. And then what God says in that moment after the resurrected army is standing there, and this is gonna be, um, this is gonna be in the very end of Ezekiel 37. He says, he says, <clears throat> Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. Indeed, we're cut off. And you shall say, and you shall know, you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from the graves, O oh my people. I'll put my spirit within you. You shall live. I'll place you in your own land. And then you'll know I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. Jonah is sinking to the bottom of the ocean. And in that moment, the tomb becomes a womb. He goes down to the bottom of the ocean and what seems definitely like his death becomes life. In that moment, when he has realized the self-destruction of his own sin should mean death, God brings about life. How? Because he has the power of resurrection. And so he tells to Ezekiel and Israel and to Jonah and to all of us, that even if it gets so bad that we destroy ourselves, I can bring life out of that. I can bring salvation out of self-destruction because I am the Lord and it, it belongs to me. But then you get to the end of Jonah and you get to the end of the prophets after this pattern comes again and again and again, and you begin to ask this question, okay, well, how? how could God have mercy on a people that really should be judged for their sin? That's the question that just kind of gets left at the end of Jonah. The Ninevites really are evil. Like, can God just ignore that? Like, Jonah's frustration kind of makes sense. How could it all fall apart and it gets so bad and so ugly because of our own sin, and yet God can still answer in life and salvation and in mercy? Because the third pattern that you begin to notice within the prophets and in Jonah is that God brings salvation through judgment. Judgment and salvation are one of the two major themes, especially within the minor prophets, the book of the 12. But they don't stand against each other salvation and judgment don't come up against each other and clash, but with the message, the pattern begins to come with all of this kind of like holy whiplash of where God says, I will judge, and then the next line, he's gonna give mercy in life. What you begin to see is that God brings salvation through judgment. And I, I I want you guys to hear this. This is again from Hosea. Just listen, you don't have to turn here. In Hosea chapter five, and this, this, is, this is incredible because this is a prophet that would have been at the same time as Jonah. And so in Hosea chapter five, when God says, I, even I, will tear and go away and no one will carry off, no one shall rescue. In chapter six, six it says, come let us return to the Lord for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, He'll raise us up so that we may live before him. Did you catch that? God will bring judgment. And in three days, Israel, who is called his son, all throughout the book of Hosea, he's gonna judge his son, and in three days, he will somehow raise him up. And then Jonah is in the belly of the fish, and in three days, what became his judgment turns into his salvation, not just for him, for, for all the Ninevites. What you begin to see again and again and again in the entire Old Testament is this pattern, mysteriously, how could God bring about salvation in all this mess? And the answer is, Through judgment, salvation will come. And that's why when in the gospels, we pick up Jesus speaking out of the gospel of Matthew, he says that the only sign I'm gonna give is the sign of Jonah. And I always read that and asked, why would Jesus identify himself with Jonah? We've read through the book of Jonah. He's the worst example of a prophet that ever lived. And yet Jesus goes, That story is what I want you to think of when you think of my ministry. And the reason why is because Jonah is a story where judgment comes on Jonah and yet mysteriously salvation still comes out of it. I mean, think about, I want us to imagine for a second if we were Jonah, we rebel against God, we run from him, and in the midst of our running, we see the consequences, which is a storm. And we, we're so over it, we so realize, we so give up that it's hopeless. Just, just kill me, throw me overboard. And as Jonah is sinking down to the bottom of the ocean, could you imagine opening your eyes and then seeing a giant fish I'd imagine he probably thought it was either a shark, I mean, something terrifying. I mean, if you're underwater and you see a giant fish, that is gonna be terrifying no matter what. And I wonder if Jonah in that moment had thought, this is like God's, this is God's justice on me. (laughs) Even his creation comes against me. And then swallows him whole. And I imagine that moment, he's like, here we go, it's gone. ah!" And then I'm still alive. And then sitting there, Somehow, miraculously, he doesn't die in the belly of a fish. And I wonder how long it would have taken for him to begin to think, wait, if God wanted to kill me, then it would have been over. And yet I'm still here. And then slowly he begins to realize, wait, this, this judgment on me is not for my ultimate destruction. It is for my redemption, And then that's where we get that moment where he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Look in Jonah chapter two, in his song, in his words. In two verse four, he says, then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. And again, in verse six, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. Jonah has this moment and he has experience where he can see what God is doing and he realizes that even though it looks like full judgment, yet God's gonna bring about salvation. And so when we get to Jesus and he identifies himself with Jonah, the answer that all of the prophets are trying to understand becomes super clear. How could the Ninevites who are wicked not get judgment on them and instead get mercy? How could the Israelites who have failed their calling so bad that it seems like it's completely over, how could God still work and use them entirely? How could God pass over Jonah's rebellion and his absolute ignorance to what God is doing and his racism and his... How could God just pass over that? Because God is bringing about salvation through judgment. The judgment just goes on to his son and his son is in the belly of the fish for three days. And on the third day, God brings him back to life. The reason that God can have mercy on Nineveh is because he judged Jesus. The reason that God can be patient and merciful and pursue Jonah, even though three times he's like, I wanna be out, I don't wanna do this, I'm over it, I quit, and God pursues him. How does God pursue him? Because he judged his son. Because the wrath and the anger that God had for us and for our sin, it is poured out on Jesus. Judgment and salvation don't get separated. It's just that God pours out the judgment on his son. So salvation might come out of it, amen? amen, we have salvation because Jesus has received the judgment. It doesn't just go away or get passed over. It's poured out on the sun. And the pattern that the prophets want us to hear again and again and again is that salvation is God's and nothing will stop him from getting it. Never. We cannot get so self-destructive that he cannot redeem and pull us out of it. We can't run so hard and so fast that he cannot stop pursuing us and chasing us. It can't get so bad that God can't turn judgment and flip it around so that it turns into salvation. That is the beauty of the entire message of the Bible. And that is why in the final moments of redemption, in the book of Revelation, all of the nations and the tribes and the tongues are singing and what do they sing? salvation belongs to the Lord and to the lamb. And there's nothing that's gonna possibly stop God from getting it. This is his salvation. It is his story. It is his mission and journey to redeem the world and to restore all of us. And so I got one thing to do in response because this isn't really one of those stories and messages where it, the only thing we have to do in this is the words of the Ninevite king at the end of Jonah. And the Ninevite king says at the end of Jonah chapter 3, let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The beauty of seeing Jonah on the other side of the cross, though, is the who knows becomes yes. And for sure, all who turn to the Lord, God will turn his anger onto his son. All of us who turn to God, to his son, Jesus, God will turn the wrath towards his son so that we might have salvation and the judgment come on his son instead. Amen? Let's end our time together in praying today. So would you bow your heads with me? Father, salvation belongs to you. It's yours and yours alone. There is no one else who can bring it about. We can't bring it about by our hands. We can't do it with our power. There is no other thing in this world that can bring about salvation. And so Lord, I just pray that for all of us sitting in here, those of us, Lord, who do not know God, that today might be a day where we turn turn and follow the lord and god for all of us who have been following jesus and we just need the strength to go one more week can we again by your spirit turn to the lord because you have poured out the wrath and judgment on jesus and now we get salvation and life praise you jesus for you're a good god you're merciful and you're abounding in steadfast love And Jonah, as he saw that finally, I pray that we might see it today as well. Amen.